And tonight I am going to return to the book of Daniel. Uh, I've been kind of going through that, uh, as I mentioned when I started. I, it's a Bible study I did a while ago, and I love Daniel, and, and I keep reading it. And, uh, and so we'll go back there. It's a great uh, story to come to, a great uh, book to come to kind of off and on, because it's easy to catch up and, and recap where we're at, and, and every passage is a good passage, and, and there's a lot to say in it. And so before we read this passage, I'll be in Daniel chapter 3, uh, verses 8 through 18. Uh, but let me recap uh, where we're at. Uh, Daniel and then his three friends, and, and the three friends are, are going to be part of today's passage, but uh, they come, they get exiled from uh, Judah to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. He's taken over uh, Judah, Jerusalem, and, and uh, then he had this dream, and he was going to kill all of his wise men, and the Chaldeans, and the, uh, the sorcerers, all of them, uh, because they couldn't interpret the dream, but then Daniel could, and, and there is uh, this hint that it was Daniel, and, and his three friends had a hand in it as well. He had consulted them, uh, he, he talked, when he talked to the dream, or to the king, he said, uh, this was the dream, now we will tell its interpretation, uh, so... Uh, so the three friends are with him there, and, uh, and Daniel interprets the dream, uh, tells him what it is, interprets it, and, and then the king uh, says, truly, Daniel, your God is God of gods, and, and then right away almost he builds this great big image uh, out in the plain, uh, this, this idol, uh, and that's in chapter 3, the beginning of chapter 3, and uh, so he builds that, and and that's where we're at in the story. And as he builds it, then he tells everyone that when they hear the, these sounds, and, and we'll, you'll uh, hear what the sounds are, uh, but when you hear these sounds, you must fall down and, and worship uh, this image that he had set up. And, and so we'll uh, note here that uh, there's three that don't, uh, and that's part of the story. So let me, uh, let me read Daniel it's Daniel chapter 3, beginning at verse 8. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously attacked the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready... When you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, 
you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We ask that you will strengthen us in your truth as we look at this passage, that we may grow in it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here's this passage, and I did stop just a couple of verses short of what I said I was going to, but we will get to them. Uh, I was going to wait for uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's uh, answer to the king because that's that's the highlight of the whole thing and so we'll get to that and and highlight it but I, I want to get to the story going up to it and in doing so uh, I was reminded as I was looking of, at this of a bible study uh, that I was leading uh, some time ago and I brought out two bible verses and when I do these Bible studies, I like to get people talking right away uh, so that we can have this uh, kind of back and forth. And so uh, it was a study that was going to be much like uh, what uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are, are, are trying to decide here or are living through. But the two Bible verses I brought up were, were these. I brought up Acts 5.29, and it's Peter and there's others with him, but uh, but they've been told not to preach Jesus, and then Peter, he replies, we must obey God rather than men. And then I brought up another Bible passage, and I said, okay, the other one that I want to take in conjunction with that is Romans 13, uh, verses 1 and 2, and I'm going to paraphrase it a little bit, but it reads basically like this, let every person be subject to the governing authorities instituted by God. Whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. And that was a bit of a paraphrase there, but, but these two verses, we must obey God rather than man, and then in Romans, uh, be subject to the governing authorities. And if you uh, resist them, then you're resisting God who set them in that place. And so I asked the question, uh, when is it right to resist the governing authorities? And, and the answer was a little too obvious. They said, well, when it's a, a moral issue um, or your conscience before God. So I thought, well, I'm not getting much discussion out of this. Let me dig a little deeper. So I asked, well, what if it's not uh, a moral issue, but something you really, really don't want to do, and the government says you have to do it. And nobody was really saying anything, so I thought, okay, let me dig a little deeper here. I'm, I'm going to find a subject that they'll talk about. I said, okay, imagine Congress all of a sudden tells everybody that they have to turn in their guns. The Bible is pretty silent about guns. They weren't even invented when the Bible was written. It's not a moral issue. The government tells you you have to turn in your guns, and you really don't want to. Now what do you do? Well, I really mis misread that room because I thought we were going to have fist fights. As people started talking about guns and the Constitution and this and that, oh boy. 
Uh, this is getting a little out of hand here. I didn't expect quite this passionate of a discussion, uh, but they were making my point. Uh, we can come up with reasons for doing things that we really don't want to do. Uh, and, and we're very good at it. And the reasons actually sound very good on the surface. And, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're presented here with something they really don't want to do, but, but they have this faith in God, and it's faith beyond their physical well-being. It's their spiritual well-being that they're concerned about. And, and they have this faith that if they remain spiritually pure, God will take care of them, no matter what happens. And they're brought before Nebuchadnezzar by these Chaldeans we see in verse 8. And these Chaldeans maliciously, it says they came forward and maliciously accused uh, the, the Jews, and, and the, it's these three in particular. Now, earlier in Daniel, one of the things that we had noted, this was some time ago, uh, is when Daniel and, and these three uh, interpreted the king's dream, the king made them, uh, well, he promoted them above all the other wise men and the Chaldeans and the, the satraps and, and everyone else, and, and that there was probably going to be some issues here because these are some Jewish guys, exiles that had lost in the war, and, and there was probably going to be some jealousy and we see that it does play out, and they're malicious about it. There's almost this sense of glee as they're telling uh, Nebuchadnezzar what is going on, and Nebuchadnezzar obviously didn't uh, know this was happening. Uh, they didn't have to say anything, but they do anyhow. There's, there's no compassion in this at all. Uh, in fact, they remind uh, Nebuchadnezzar, you know, if they don't do this, you said that you would throw them into a burning, fiery furnace. There's, there's no compassion. Uh, and, and then they add a couple of things in there. You notice uh, in verse 12, uh, they're paying no attention to you, and, and they don't serve your gods. That's not really the issue, but they're going to add that in. Um, they don't care that these three were partially involved in saving their lives. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar wanted them killed when they couldn't interpret the dream. And, and, um, and so in a way, they're responsible that they're even alive, but how quickly this jealousy uh, can make one ungrateful and even vicious. And they are. And, and they almost, they tweak Nebuchadnezzar. They know how to get at him. Uh, it, it's this decree. You, king, have, have made this decree. They're throwing it back on Nebuchadnezzar. And, and these Jews, in verse 12, certain Jews whom you have appointed, you've done this, king. Uh, the obvious question is, are they really all that concerned about Nebuchadnezzar's honor? The answer is likely no. Uh, they're acting in their own self-interest here, but, but they're turning it back on, on the king, and, and they have, uh, in, in a worldly way, they have their own wisdom. Um, they have a firm grasp of Nebuchadnezzar's psychology, 
and how they can get him to react as they want. They know their man is arrogant, he's quick to anger, he's vain, and if they say this the right way, just make mention of it, uh, rage is guaranteed. And they're right. Uh, in verse 13, Nebuchadnezzar is in a furious rage and commands that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought in. They bring him in before the king. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar has his, his pride issues, his ego. Uh, and despite what he had said earlier, uh, I mentioned this uh, when Daniel had interpreted the dream in, in chapter 2, verse 47, uh, the king answered and said, truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. And, and despite what Nebuchadnezzar had said there, uh, still Nebuchadnezzar's king is Nebuchadnezzar. He still thinks he's the top dog or should be. So he brings the three in. And he says to them, he asks them a question. Is it true? Is it true that you do not serve my gods or worship this golden image that I have set up? It's an interesting question. And it's almost, when you read it, almost as though he's giving them an out. Almost like he's hoping that they'll say what he wants to hear. And, and you might wonder, well, if they had given him the answer that he wanted, would have they been off the hook? It, it brings us to a, a tricky little dilemma here uh, that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could ask. What's wrong with a little white lie here? You know, we really didn't worship that God, but, you know, he's given us an out. If we just Tell him what he wants to hear. We'll walk on out of here and there'll be no problems. And they could even justify that a little bit. They could even say, you know what? And we're just brought in here because these other clowns are jealous and angry with us. And Nebuchadnezzar is unpredictable and an egomaniac. These guys don't even deserve the truth. So why give it to them? Let's just save our hides and get on out of here. You can see how that could easily be twisted in their mind. They don't deserve the truth, so why give it to them when we can save ourselves? But God is truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and Scripture is full of God is truth as opposed to the father of lies who is Satan, but God is truth, and so can the servants of God prosper devoid of the truth? And these three say, no. They're going to be honest about it. But this little issue of what's called the white lies, that's always a tricky one. They're so easy to justify. You know, a few years ago, I was reading a, uh, one of those newspaper columns, and it's, it was something like Miss Manners or one of those things. It wasn't Miss Manners, but someone uh, like it. And, and the question was, uh, there was a friend, it was a woman who was writing. She said her friend asked her if she liked this outfit, and the friend didn't. 
and she didn't know quite how to answer that. So she was asking Miss Manners, what do you say in a situation like this? And, or it wasn't Miss Manners, but the, the person like it. And, and the answer, I thought, was very clever. They said, well, first of all, if they haven't bought the outfit yet, or if they're thinking about taking it back, then they want an honest answer. So just tell them what you think. But if they've already bought it, now they're looking for affirmation. And I'm not going to tell you to lie, but you better find one thing about it that you like and mention that. Oh, well, that's a clever way to get around that. But we have these, these situations. Do we hurt somebody's feelings or do we say what's true sometimes? And, and sometimes you do have to say, well, you know what, I'm just going to find something I like about this. But for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, there's nothing uh, to say except the truth. Well, the king will continue. He'll give them another chance. You know, they say opportunity knocks once, but temptation will knock and then pound and then ring the doorbell, then holler through the windows and wait on the sidewalk for you. And that's exactly what's happening here. They had their chance to tell a little lie and get out of it. But then the king continues. All right, now in verse 15, now if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, fall down and worship this image that I've made. And if you do, well and good. But if you don't, you will immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? We're going to start, actually, with the ridiculous and answer that question. Who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? You see, Nebuchadnezzar has set up this idol out in the plains, this golden idol, and, and it can't do anything. It was made by human hands, and it just sits there and sparkles, and that's all that that thing can do. And he's asking, who is the God who will deliver you? Well, it's the God who put a dream in Nebuchadnezzar's head and then had someone else tell him what that dream was and interpret it for him. It's the almighty God. He's lost sight of all of that already because of his pride. And so who is that God? Well, the three here are faced with this temptation now, to find another way to get out of this. They didn't tell the lie, but now when they hear this, they're supposed to fall down and worship. And they know they'll be watched. And when I was uh, bringing this up uh, during the, uh, a Bible study that I, that I mentioned earlier, I, I asked, I just said, what are some of the excuses that, that you could think of that they might come up with. And I had a couple in my head, but uh, there was a young woman and she popped off eight of them just right in a row. And I thought, how long have you been reading my mind? I mean, I've used every single one of these excuses that she just popped off. And, and, and I'm gonna, I, I actually wrote them down just as she said them uh, because I, I thought they were so good. And, and you might... Uh, recognize some of these excuses, either that you've used or that you've heard used. Eight excuses they could have used for falling down and worshiping this image. The first one that uh, she mentioned, well, we'll fall down, but not actually worship. 
We'll pretend to worship, but not really worship. Make it look good, but, you know, kind of close our eyes and just sit there. Well, that's going to give the wrong impression. Another one, well, we won't become idol worshipers, but we'll worship just this one time and then ask God to forgive us. And how many times do people love to use this? I, I worked with a guy, and his, his motto, I think, in life was, it's easier to ask for a forgiveness than permission. And he lived his life like that. I'll live how I want and ask for forgiveness later. And, and that's an easy one to fall into. Another excuse that they could have easily come up with, well, the king has absolute power, and we must obey the king, so... God will understand. You know, there's a certain logic to that. It's wrong. But you could see if they were to think along that line. They could also have thought this. Well, you know, the king appointed us. He's given us this high position. So the least we can do is humor him this one time. Another one, and this is a beauty. Well, this is a foreign land. So God will excuse us for following the customs of the land. This is where phrases like what stay or what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas comes from. You know, if I'm here, well, when in Rome, do what the Romans do. Uh, this is popular in our day. You know what? It's just what everyone else is doing. And so God won't really blame us if we just fall in line and do the same. Uh, the sixth one she came up with, and again, a beauty. Our ancestors set up idols in God's temple, and that's earlier uh, in the Old Testament, and, and it was a, a bad time for Israel where they had actually put idols in the temple of God, and our ancestors did that. This isn't nearly as bad as that. Uh, you know, that idea of somebody's done worse than this. We like to tell ourselves that one. Uh, number seven is another one we hear quite often. Well, we're really not hurting anybody. If we do this, it doesn't affect anyone. We're not physically hurting anybody. And then the last one she popped off, you know, if we get ourselves killed and the pagans take our place, then there'll be nobody to help our people in exile. We have positions and we can do things to help our people, but if we get killed, then who's going to help them? You know, we'll look out for others. We'll disobey God and look out for others and, and, and put that pious spin on it if we can. Uh, but, but Exodus 23 is very clear. You shall have no other gods before me. And if they fall down, even if they are only fake worshiping or whatever justification they might use for this, what kind of testimony do they have in their world? And what right do they have to talk about the power of their God over the power of the gods of, of Nebuchadnezzar? We can always make excuses, and some of them sound really good, and we can be really passionate about some of these excuses sometimes, but what does it say about our testimony when we do that? 
And how does it strengthen our spiritual life? We must live by faith. And the verses that I didn't read but want to get to now, because this is really the heart of it, verses 16 through 18, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. There's a couple of things going on in this wonderful answer. First of all, they have complete confidence in the power of God. Complete confidence. It's one thing for us to understand in a very general way that God is omnipotent, that God is ruler over all. And that's true, and it's one thing to, to know that, but it's quite another to believe that God can do something that's completely contrary to nature, completely contrary to what science tells us will happen. And they have complete confidence that God can do this. Yet they're not blind to the reality of the situation. And, and they're not blind to the fact that God is going to work out his purposes in the way he wants, not in necessarily in the way they want, but in the way God wants. And, and really what they want is what God wants anyhow. And they have complete confidence in the power of God to do what he will do. And the second thing is they are completely submissive to God's will, whatever that will be. God can save us, but he might not. Can you imagine seeing the furnace and the wood and the guy right there ready to light the match, knowing they're going to throw you in there and saying, God might save me, but he might not. But I'm still going to be faithful to God. Paul wrote in, in Philippians 1.20, uh, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. And that's the attitude they have. We will glorify God in our bodies, whether we live through this or whether we die. But either way, Nebuchadnezzar, you lose because we're not going to worship this image. Whether we live and not worship it or die and not worship it, that's not up to us. God can deliver, and should he deliver us, then God is certainly vindicated in all of this, and he, is, he has shown himself to be powerful, even to those that don't recognize that. But, but even, even if they die, they're going to be faithful, and they understand that God always has a purpose for faithfulness, even if it means us suffering sometimes for that faithfulness, God always 
has a purpose for it. Their deaths would not be a failure, but an indication of God's will. Uh, Sinclair Ferguson writes this, Faith means trusting God and his word. Faith does not mean that we either know or understand what his specific purpose in our lives may be. And sometimes we just don't know what's going on. And we can be very tempted to tell the little lie or come up with that excuse and dishonor God a little bit because we really don't know what the outcome's going to be if we stay faithful. But God is truth and he always honors faithfulness. May we live to be faithful and die in faithfulness to our great God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this faith that you give us. Faith in your power. Faith in your Son that we may be forgiven of our sins because we have made our excuses. We have sinned. But Lord, we are forgiven when we confess those sins and we thank you for that. We ask that you keep us bold, that we may walk in faithfulness and that our faith may increase, that your Holy Spirit continues to work in our lives, that we may walk more boldly and faithfully and truthfully for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. And then, whoops, where did my bulletin go? Then I'll have you stand. Uh, we can turn to hymn 562 and we'll sing verses 1 and 4.